Pain has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News & World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. You're feeling some indigestion after a meal, and then a little chest heaviness. You've even had some painful flu-like symptoms during the week. It's probably nothing, or is it? If you're a woman, you could be having a heart attack and not even realize it. In fact, one in four women will die of heart disease. The chest wall is a common site of pain from rib fractures, bronchitis, and and peptic ulcer disease. So, how do we distinguish the pain of a heart attack from other conditions? Our guests today will lead us through the maze and provide some concrete guidance on identifying risks, symptoms, and strategies for a healthy heart. Amy Silverstein was born with a rhythm problem called arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia. This led to heart failure and not one but two heart transplants. She's written a book about her unbelievable journey called Sick Girl. We'll talk about the book and her remarkable life. During the show, Dr. Noelle Peterson, Director of Women's Cardiovascular Services at East Carolina Heart Institute, joins us. She'll talk about how we can differentiate the pain of heart disease from other conditions, identify risk factors for chronic chest wall pain, and share the latest in diagnosing, treating, and preventing heart disease. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Purdue Pharma, Teva Pharmaceuticals, Millennium Laboratories, My Life Patient Program, and DC2 Healthcare, and The Pain Community. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. Amy Silverstein was living the life of a young, ambitious law student in New York City. At age 24, her life completely changed when she discovered that her heart was failing, and without a transplant, she'd die. Let's pick up where we left off in part three. Amy, welcome back to Aches and Gains. Hi. On our last show, you shared a moving story about suddenly learning that you needed a heart transplant at age 24, wondering whether you'd live or die while lying in the hospital for two months, getting shocked twice a day to keep your heart going, and then discovering you'd only have 10 years to live with your new heart. And at that point, did you feel like you needed to rush to do as much as possible? I did not. I just uh, sort of, uh, whatever I was doing, really immersed myself. I mean, that's ideal for all of us, mm-hmm. right, to be in the moment and really take it in. And I, I I, have a capacity to do that, probably because of this. And I, I certainly did, as did my husband. Mm-hmm. But I seemed to do so well that, you know, we adopted a child, wow. you know, five years into my post-transplant period uh-huh. because I was just doing so well. And we just couldn't imagine this not going well. No matter what the statistics said, I was, you know, running miles and feeling quite well. You know, let me 
say, though, that the immunosuppressive medicines are, are dangerous as well, mm-hmm. and those are no fun. I did get a lot of illnesses and, and things like that, but we thought that this was going to go on and on. You know, I think if you think yourself sick, you are sick. If you think yourself 10 years, you are 10 years. I just thought myself as living fully, and that seemed to serve me pretty well. Yes, I bet it's the power of believing that's provided unexpected longevity for you. Amy, some of my patients turn to religion because their pain is so bad and they feel like there isn't any hope. Did you do that at any point? Not to religion. Um, I'm not a religious person by nature. However, I do feel that I'm a spiritual person. I feel like there's something around us that supports us and and is there. Um, I have tried meditation. I've done it pretty seriously. That is a little tricky for a heart transplant patient because our hearts are not connected to our central nervous system. Mm -hmm. When they cut out the heart, they cut your nerves, and they are severed pretty much forever. So um, when you put in the new heart, our pulse is very fast. Resting my pulse could be 110, uh-huh. um, and that's when I'm really relaxed. Yeah. So things like meditation will not bring down the pulse, will not relax the body. We run on a lot of adrenaline and catecholamines. I don't really find help and faith in things outside of myself. Mm-hmm. I wish I could, but it really hasn't been helpful to me. Well, on the other hand, how about uh, support from your husband? Yes. Well, that has been my strength, really. My husband, phenomenal. I mean, really, again, this is a man who proposed to me when he was 25, knowing that I was going to probably die by 35. And I'm lovable, but not that lovable, you know, (laughs) Uh for him to really give himself that way. Um, And he is a rock, but also you realize, and I'm sure some of your pain patients realize this, when you've got something that's going to be forever as heart transplant, you can't just keep milking at the source, you know, of your support because they get weary. Mm -hmm. It's not like you have a back operation, you're going to be in pain for six months, and people are going to be there for you. Well, they're not going to be there for you for 26 plus years. Mm -hmm. They just can't be. It's, you know, oh, Amy's got this. Well, of course she does, you know. So I have tried over the years, more than tried. I don't like the word try. I like to do, not try, right? right? I have made it a conscious effort on my part to spare him what I can and turn to my girlfriends who are remarkable, brilliant, fantastic, strong women. Mm-hmm. And I have a number of them. I'm lucky to. So I, I don't have to wear any of them out either. That's wonderful. You know, and I do believe it's important to extend your social network so that you don't tax uh, one person that is your, your spouse or your partner. Unfortunately, your, your immune system attacked your transplanted heart, so you had to undergo a second transplant in May of 2014. What kind of symptoms did you have at that time? Well, that was really a surprise because I really was running five miles, doing quite well, many years, having yearly angiograms uh-huh. um, to check for transplant vasculopathy, but that test doesn't show the small vessels. So although my angiograms were fine, I was developing small vessel disease. It's a transplant disease, not the same as people who get disease from cholesterol and such. I was developing it over the years, but it didn't show mm-hmm. up until it got really bad. And there's nothing you can do about it for transplant patients. You can't, you know, have a bypass. It's it's just your heart's done. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was very severe and very sudden. And the symptoms I was having were an inability to exercise. Um, and also, I was getting some pain down my left shoulder, not in my chest, but but my left shoulder. But my doctor was dismissing that because since transplant patients don't have nerves, we're not supposed to feel pain. Mm -hmm. Um, However, you know, they don't really know after 26 years, maybe some nerves come back. Right. And uh, they must have because I was having 
what I now know uh, was cardiac pain. So you were having exercise-induced angina, it sounds like, uh, which is chest pain or discomfort that occurs in an area of the heart muscle that isn't getting enough oxygen-rich blood. Yes, from physical effort, um, walking up the you know, stairs, uh, running. I was running anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, I kept doing it. Yeah. Um, but I just, and then I was going to, you know, massage therapist, oh, my shoulder, my shoulder, that kind of thing. Um, but then I had an angiogram and it showed um, severe vasculopathy of transplant artery disease and I needed to transplant immediately. Wow. I mean, how did you feel at that point? Well, I had to really think whether I wanted to take this on and it was close. Yeah. You know, I've lived a very good life Mm -hmm. from, you know, 25 to 50. After talking with my husband, talking with my girlfriend, I decided to step up and take on one more, Uh, one more. And I did it. And uh, it was a really rough, rough time Mm. because that was when the pain came. Amy, let me ask you about the pain. What was that like? Was it in your chest? Was it in your stomach? Where was it? They had to put a pacemaker in while I was waiting for the heart transplant Mm -hmm. just so my pulse wouldn't drop. Yeah. Uh, they put it in, but it was a very difficult procedure because my heart was so diseased, they couldn't attach it in the proper way. Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't attached in the proper way, whenever the pacemaker would do its pacing, when my pulse dropped, the uh, valves would close and there would be terrible heart attack type pain, but terrible pain across my chest, down both arms. You know, I guess that's what people feel like when they have a heart attack. That was horrible. Wow. And of course, it would come at night because that's when you relax and your pulse drops. Mm-hmm. So I was up all night long and sleep deprived because of mm, it. You know, I mean, I hate to say this, but it almost seems like you were being tortured. Yes. Uh, stabbing, shooting, burning. Yeah. And, and the thing is, there's nothing they can give you for it. It's not a painkiller you can take because it would come in waves. It reminded me of almost like a woman giving birth. You know, it would come and it would last and you can sort of breathe through it and then you'd be okay for five minutes and then you would pace again. Mm-hmm. I could feel it. You know, I could feel my heart rate dropping and then it would pace, bang, and the pain would come. Mm. I mean, how did you get through that? It was a very odd sort of thing because... We women, you know, at at my age, we don't really lay hands on each other. You know, you give a friend, you know, a hug or whatever, but they were actually, you know, very hands-on with me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll say my friend Lauren was the best back scratcher and my friend Joy was the best foot rubber. And they all had their things that they did well to to give me relief. Mm -hmm, Indeed. And as we've learned from from doing shows on uh, Jin Sinjitsu, healing touch and chakra balancing, the healing power of touch can be extraordinary. And you can listen to those shows on my website, paulchristomd.com. Fortunately, Amy did not have any pain following the second heart transplant, but she did have something in between the first and the second. Stay tuned after the break, and we'll find out what that was. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, a global leader in medical technology, alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. Visit TameThePain.com to learn about treatment options for chronic pain. Teva, a leading global pharmaceutical company committed to increasing access to high-quality health care by developing, producing, and marketing affordable generic medicines, as well as innovative and specialty pharmaceuticals. Millennium Health is a leading health solutions company that delivers accurate, timely, clinical actionable information to inform the right treatment decisions for each patient at the right time. Millennium offers a comprehensive suite of services to better tailor patient care. More information is available at www.millenniumhealth.com. My Life Patient Program and DC2 Healthcare, connecting patients to top physicians in the United States 
reaching the highest standard of patient care through research patient programs and gains in overall health. For more information, please visit mylifepatientproject.com and dc2healthcare.com. Welcome back to the show. I was delighted to find out that, uh, Amy, you really had very little post-operative pain or, or any chronic pain following the second heart transplant, but you had something that was unexpected that occurred in between the first and the second. What was that? I did have an open-heart valve surgery <laughs> you know, um, between the first and second transplants um, because we have heart biopsies where they take pieces of your heart out um, and look at them under a microscope. I had about 76 of them wow. with my first transplant. Mm. And every time they go in, there's a chance they might damage something in there. And they actually did um, damage uh, my tricuspid valve, and it was leaking terribly, and I needed to have an open-heart surgery. Mm-hmm. This was five, six years ago. They don't really do those on transplanted hearts, but I did it. That was the most painful. I don't know what the difference is between heart transplant and valve surgery. Maybe it's because they didn't load me up with prednisone afterward, Mm -hmm. but that was terrible. So I guess it would be the typical heart surgery pain down the chest, through my shoulder, can't lay down in bed. I slept in a chair for months. Mm. You know, six months out, I was feeling a little bit better, just really feeling that you've been split open. And it was totally, totally different than a heart transplant. Amy, what did they give you to to feel better after that surgery? They gave me um, some Vicodin. In the hospital, they gave me Dilaudid, which I really didn't like. The clock on the wall was moving, and (laughs) I don't do well with that. Mm -hmm. They're very free, I find, with pain pills for heart transplant patients. Mm -hmm. I mean, they just want to give it to you. So I (laughs) definitely had it at my disposal, and and I did use it, and it was helpful. So, Amy, you had one heart transplant, and then you required a valve replacement. And then before the second heart transplant, if all of those weren't enough, you found out that you had breast cancer and required bilateral mastectomies. If I could take up all my body parts and not worry about them, I would do it. But maybe I'm just not like other people, but that was the easiest surgery I've ever had. I had zero pain. I woke up feeling terrific. Mm -hmm. And I was out of the hospital less than 24 hours. That's fast. Now, I know during the break, we we talked about how it's been 26 years since your first heart transplant and and that you surpassed the the 10-year life expectancy of the first and had a second. And some of the reasons for that are, are, one, that you had a good match, a good transplant match, and two, you've really pushed exercise. I mean, you're jogging not just for minutes, which is recommended, but for hours. And despite the fact that your heart rate can't keep up with the high pace of exercise. But there's several other reasons as well. What are those? Diet. When I say that I haven't had a pad of butter in 26 years, I have not had a pad of butter in 26 years. Mm-hmm. With uh, carbohydrates, that's all I eat all day. Spaghetti and tomato sauce, sure. But don't give me a pad of butter. <laughs> right. well, I have to add love as well. My husband could not have done it without him. You know, the love that I have for him definitely sustains me and lifts my body in every way. Yeah. But I think it's also luck. I have said that I am the luckiest unlucky woman that I know, you know. Indeed you are. What now is the life expectancy with this current heart? That is the the second heart transplant. They are saying they think I can live, you know, indefinitely. That being said, I'm still on immunosuppressive medicine. It causes cancer. There are all these things that can happen. Yeah. Um, I don't think my heart is what's going to kill me in the long run. Right, right. You know, Amy, are you afraid that you'll need another heart transplant? I'm not really afraid of it because I just don't think I would take that on. Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid. You know, I'm 50 now. If this one lasts me 20 years, I think I'll just let that go. I mean, that's a tough call. I I think that some would understand and and others wouldn't. You've written a book called Sick Girl. Tell us about it. 
um, when you look terrific on the outside, and yet on the inside, you're taking transplant medicines that make you feel sick every day, mm-hmm. you have a lot of infections, you're dealing with things that women your age don't. Yeah. And I, I really wanted to express that in Sick Girl, and I wanted to be understood. Uh, and I got some real... Um, really terrific feedback from many people who write letters saying that it was really helpful to them because there are people out there with all kinds of challenges, physical and otherwise, that feel misunderstood and want to be honest in the way that I was in Sick Girl. You can be very grateful and also at the same time very angry and jealous and sad. Gratitude does not eclipse everything else. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, you know, carry the day because you're grateful. A lot of our society doesn't accept that. So I was very proud that in Sick Girl, I really put it out on the table for how I felt about this transplant. Mm -hmm, And I think you really did. Before we close, how can those with pain and any chronic disease fight against the temptation to give up? That's a very good question. You're either in or you're out. And if you're in, you're in, and you're going to accept what it is, and you're going to do your very best and have hope, Mm -hmm. I make that choice. And at some point, I might decide not to do it. But that, to me, isn't giving up. It's just saying no to the challenge. You have to be in one place and be there with all of your might. I'm so glad to hear you say that because you're a living example of the power of intention. Amy, it was so good to have you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you. It's been nice to talk with you. Don't go away because Dr. Noelle Peterson, cardiologist, joins us once again. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and this is Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by The Pain Community, a web-based nonprofit created by people living with pain. Check out paincommunity.org for information, references, advocacy tools, and a premium section to securely interact with other members in forums and chat rooms. Purdue Pharma, making a positive impact on healthcare and on lives, reminding everyone to safeguard medications in their home. For cutting-edge treatments and resources, follow Dr. Paul Christo on Twitter or like Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo on Facebook. Dr. Noelle Peterson is a cardiologist. She directs Women's Cardiovascular Services at East Carolina Heart Institute and also sees patients in private practice. Dr. Peterson, welcome back to Aches and Gains. Well, thank you so much for having me. On our last show, you know, we noted that those patients who have ongoing angina or who've had an MI do have a high degree of anxiety and fear about dying naturally, and that sometimes this leads to both physical and psychological deterioration. Dr. Peterson, if this does occur in patients, how can they overcome it to live life fully? One of the great resources after people have either, even if people have chronic angina or, or if they have an ischemic event, is the cardiac rehab is a great outlet for people afterwards. And typically it's about a 12-week program where people go and they're educated about signs and symptoms and about some of the things that we've talked about, the post-psychological issues. Mm -hmm. They get involved in an exercise program, kind of get taught how to eat healthy. And it's a support group because there's other people in there who have the same conditions. Okay. And usually people who go through that program tend to do a lot better than people who don't go through that program. Well, that's important information. Uh, Noelle, you know, there's evidence that using spinal cord stimulation helps control pain and improve quality of life in patients who have very difficult to treat angina, who aren't candidates for other interventions like further bypass surgery. It also doesn't mask any acute MIs. What's your sense for the value of this therapy? I do have several patients who have the spinal cord stimulators in just because of things of chronic angina. Mm -hmm. Um, And they usually tend to do 
better than people who, who don't have that therapy put in. And I haven't had anybody who has one of the simulators have a missed MI. Mm-hmm. Well, that's key. And how does it change their life? I definitely think they have an improved quality of life. And it's because they're not having pain all the time. And because they're not having that anxiety every time, you know, they have pain that they're going to have a heart attack. Right. And they're able to do more physical activity and do more things without having pain. Right. I think this is an underutilized therapy for these types of patients. The viscera, which are organs, uh, like the heart, for example, are unique in that pain is transmitted from two sources, parasympathetic and sympathetic fibers of what's called the autonomic nervous system. These visceral sensory fibers travel with the sympathetic and parasympathetic fibers. Since these nerve fibers of the heart aren't reattached after a heart transplant, will patients experience the pain of angina or an infarct? No, that's a great question. Actually, they have a lot more of what we call silent ischemia, mm-hmm. um, where they're having an angina or an infarct and may not feel it. And also, that's, uh, that's a great point, because a lot of times diabetics have the same type of situation because right. of how the diabetes long-term affects the pain receptors and the parasympathetic and sympathetic responses. People with diabetes may not have the same signs and symptoms that non-diabetics would have with regard to pain. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you mentioned that. And Noel, what do patients then with, with diabetes or with heart transplants experience instead of pain? The breathlessness, the sleeplessness. The fatigue, usually fatigue that's associated with angina or with a pre-infarction is sudden onset fatigue. It's like, if I pick up my three-pound laptop, I'm done. It's a little bit more of a severe fatigue or acute fatigue. Okay, I mean, that's pretty drastic fatigue. You know, we know that stretch is a usual trigger of visceral pain. Other things like distension and contraction and compression can all lead to discomfort. And in the heart, uh, congestive heart failure, for example, or ischemia can lead to stretching of the heart muscle that can lead to pain as well. Dr. Peterson, when we think about an ischemic foot, for example, we know that the lack of blood flow causes pain in that foot that can persist. Likewise, does the pain of an infarct or dead heart tissue cause chronic heart pain? It, it can depend. A lot of times when you are in, having ischemia, the heart muscle tends to hibernate. Mm-hmm. So it won't you know, move as well in that area where it's getting infarcted. And then afterwards, it'll kind of wake back up. We call it stunned myocardium or hibernating myocardium. Okay. If it dies, if it has complete lack of blood flow and you don't get any recovery and it's just scar tissue, then yes, you can have chronic pain from that. Mm -hmm, And I think it can be anywhere in the chest. What should women do to optimize their heart health? If you have the risk factors, the diabetes, the high blood pressure, the high cholesterol, of course, addressing those. If you're a smoker, quitting smoking. Even losing about 5 to 10% of your body weight can significantly improve your heart health. Mm -hmm. You You want that seven to eight hours of sleep because you have an increased risk of developing type 2 diabetes if you're not getting enough sleep. Wow. Limiting things like red meats and processed meats, your hot dogs, your sausage, your bacon, eating more than four ounces of that can actually increase your risk of heart disease by about 30%. Mm. Eating more fiber, again, that helps improve your cholesterol, decreases blood pressure, reduces your belly fat. That decreases your risk of heart disease by about 20%. And a bonus for that, that also decreases your risk of breast cancer. Okay. Variety of vegetables, Fish, fruit, whole grains, whole foods can decrease the risk. Exercising, you know, the 30 minutes, five days per week, um, or 150 minutes a week Mm -hmm. decreases your risk of heart attack, stroke, helps decrease the blood pressure, improves the cholesterol profile. And in as just as little as 90 days, there's noticeable age-reducing effects of exercise on the heart. Wow. Laughter decreases your stress hormone cortisol, 
So they found that individuals who suffer from depression are twice as likely to have a heart attack. What terrific information for improving our lives. Some exciting advancements in treating heart disease are new prosthetic valve treatments and ablations for rhythm disorders like AFib. What else? A lot of the stem cell stuff is very exciting. Regenerating heart tissue that may be ischemic or where you've had an infarction. Tissue regeneration is extremely exciting. Dr. Peterson, it was a pleasure to have you once again. Well, thank you so much for having me. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.